Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes. And boy, this is this is just chock full of reality. This is the most <laughs> reality <laughs> r- most reality infused show that we've done, probably. <laughs> And we must thank Rodney Stark, the author of the book we're reading, for digging very, very, very oh, deep to find absolutely. this reality. Oh, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about a nonfiction book. It's called Bearing False Witness, Debunking Centuries of Anti-Catholic History by a person that's not even Catholic um, named Rodney Stark. Yeah. And the thing is, is... That title, the subtitle especially, The Debunking Centuries of Non-Catholic, Anti-Catholic History, makes it sound like we're being all paranoid and everything. But when you're reading through this book, you're realizing these are things that Catholics hear flung at them a lot by different people, atheists and Protestants especially, and nobody ever argues that their side isn't right. Yeah. Right. And so I really like that Rodney Stark, he writes, his introduction talks about how he believed a lot of this and, in fact, informed the Vatican with a document of his so that they came out and made a, you know, their apology to the Jews after, was it Vatican II and everything. And it took him, through different routes, finding other things about the Catholic Church and their history with you know, the Jewish people and everything, to go, holy moly, uh, a lot of this isn't actually right that I put in my paper. And when he reread what the Vatican said, he said they were really just restating what they'd always said. Mm-hmm. They were just saying it in a different way so we could kind of understand it better now. And so when he ends this uh, introduction, he says, you know, to me, what is the best bit of the whole book? He says, finally, I am not a Roman Catholic. And I did not write this book in defense of the church. I wrote it in defense of history. Hmm. And yeah. we are always looking for the truth because God is the truth, capital T. So how can you not love that? Yeah, right. Absolutely. And, and in that introduction, I think he gives us a little sample of what's to come when he talks about Columbus. Mm. Um, so yeah. I'm just going to read just a little bit of this. It gives you the whole feel of the book. He says... Everybody knew about the Catholics in Columbus. We not only learned it in school, the story of Columbus proving the world to be round was also told in movies, Broadway plays, and even in popular songs. Yet there they were, every October 12th, throngs of Knights of Columbus members accompanied (laughs) by priests, marching in celebration of the arrival of the great navigator in the New World. How absurd. (laughs) And then he says... And how astonishing to discover many years later that the whole story about why Catholic advisors opposed Columbus was a lie. And he he goes on to tell us this. Um, and this is what he's doing in this book is he's, he's, he says in here, you know, we knew that the world was round. Many people knew that the world was round. He wasn't doing this to, uh, to prove it. Um, but he, it's the thing, but the important thing is that the, the Catholic church was opposing him, but it wasn't, had nothing to do with the roundness of the world. Yeah. Because he, he had calculated the circumference incorrectly and he was going to try to go to India and without anybody knowing that, you know, North and South America were in the way. And, um, they're like, no, you haven't figured this right. You're going to run out of supplies way early. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just practical. Right. So it says his clerical opponents knew about how far it really was, but they didn't know about the new world. But they just assumed it's going to be 14,000 miles till he gets to the, uh, where he's headed, and they're all going to die. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And how far away is that then? Oh, you can't do this. You're going to fall off the edge of the earth, you know? And um, this is, you know, the the stupidness of the Catholic Church, you know, which has been used to hit us over the head for a while. 
Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and and uh, I was very disappointed in our pal Washington Irving, which is oh, a part of this. I know. <laughs> so it says that, the, that was upsetting. It was upsetting. So the author Washington Irving. Best known for his fiction in The Legend of the Sleepy Hollow, which is awesome, he introduced the Headless Horseman. Although the tale about Columbus and the flat earth was equally fictional, and Irving presented it as a fact. So um, it says that Columbus, (sighs) having to prove that the earth was round in his own journal or in his son's book, History of the Admiral, there was no hint of any of the the earth proving, proving that the earth was round anywhere in those. And you'd think if that's what he was doing, he'd have written it in there. <laughs> and then um, it said the story was unknown until 300 years later when it appeared in a biography of Columbus written by Washington Irving in 1828. Oh, Washington Irving. Come on, Come Washington. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, but this is what this book is. Um, he has 10 chapters, each one addressing a different subject. In which he is uh, claiming and proving, I would say, the that these are largely incorrect. If not completely incorrect, then they're largely incorrect um, interpretations of history, and they've been perpetuated for various reasons. So, right. um, yeah, I think it just has to do with what I think a natural human thing is: is if you. If you want to view a thing negatively, then you're going to believe the negative things and you're not going to question those things. And then over time, it just becomes this common knowledge, right? Yeah. It's what everyone knows. Yeah. It's what everyone knows and therefore it's true and we're going to write it in our books and keep writing it in our books. Oftentimes in this in this book, um, Rodney Stark finds the origin. You know, he's like, the first time I could find that this was written was in this year, you know, and... I just found those kinds of things fascinating, um, that there's a lot of talk about that kind of thing. And the other thing I found fascinating was he will name names of current respected historians who are still telling these same untruthful stories mm-hmm. in their, here's my new authoritative history of whatever it is. And and really just never looking into it. And in each chapter then, he also has a box which will say, here are these various historians whose work has informed this chapter. And these are all people who are um, current or fairly close to being current. Um, I mean, some still alive and everything who've written stuff going, no, 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 look at all this research. Look, here's what's really true on these various topics. And... Um, I just kept looking at that going, well, then why are the other people picking up the old stuff if they're really respected historians? And then you look at a few of the names I look at and go, oh, okay. I see. I already know that you don't like the Catholic Church, and I know that you don't like it. And it doesn't mean they're necessarily maliciously perpetuating a lie. They're just not bothering to look into anything anymore because they don't know it's there, and they're just using it for their own purposes anyway. Yeah, right. And that, that is something that um, I run into as a, an RCIA coordinator, too, who meets a lot of people that have been drawn to the church for various reasons or sometimes come in just to sometimes argue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, that's funny. But often, often they, um, it's like, you know, well, where are you, where are you getting your information? And they'll, and they'll say something like, well, I read a book um, by Karen Armstrong about Mm. the history of God, (laughs) you know, and you're like, okay, well, let's start there, you know, um, because that is riddled with problems. Right. And, um, you know, trying to convey, well, you you need to be careful what you're reading. Um, And and it's interesting, you know, even even in this book, you know, I, I say that out loud and people, critics would say, well, you can't just read the things that are positive, right? And it's just, but it's like, you want to read what the truth is, right? Yes. So, you, so you want to write historians that use proper methods. You want to read philosophers that don't discount God as a possibility. You know, um, I, I can't say that that's narrowing, you know, this idea that we should be drawing truth um, as somehow uh, an invalid thing. I should be reading the untrue things. 
um, as well. You know what I mean? Um, which I have yeah. read. I have read some of. I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't. You know, I've read Christopher Hitchens for heaven's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, he's a much better writer than the last person I read who was like that, which was Richard Rohrer. Oh yeah. Oh my yeah. word. I've read just, one of his you know, as well. Yeah. No, just mm-hmm. just stay away. The the lack of logic and the amount of feelings involved were overwhelming in both cases. And um it's anyway, moving on from that, but um it's just that thing of yeah, you, you have to read some of it sometimes because of, you know, um, whatever reason. Like, like you'll read Christopher Hitchens. Well, for one thing, he's, he was a great writer. But also, he was very influential about his anti-Catholic stuff. And so, you kind of yeah. had to read it to keep Him up with and, Yeah, Richard Dawkins both. Yeah. I, um, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's bad not to... to um, at least dip in there and 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 do that, but but I don't know. It's someone like like Karen Armstrong or uh, oh, I'm going to yeah. say Bart Ehrman. I mean, oh, people that are basically yes. coming from this this idea that well, God doesn't really exist, and this is all um, just you know these these things we humans do, and well, when they're writing from that perspective. Um, it's not very interesting to me because, you know, they say, isn't it amazing how these gospels have similarities? And I'm like, well, it, it would be amazing if God didn't exist. You know what I mean? Where <laughs> it's like if he inspired all four of these people to write so an account of what they saw Excuse and me, they're they writing, <laughs> yeah, you're just like, uh, you know, that's not, um, this incredible thing, you know, and, and the, the Bible as a whole, isn't this amazing that I'm reading something in the old Testament and, and Christ fulfilled that, you know, uh, 2000 years later or whatever, what have you. And isn't that incredible that, you know, in the very first lines of Genesis or the first chapters were talking about Mary, um, right. you know, isn't that incredible? Well, <clears throat> you know, to me, that that is incredibly awesome, you know. But right. it's like for them, they'd be saying, "Oh well, this this Jesus must have been, you know, an uh, incredible genius." And um, you know, the, the the convoluted logic that they'd have to go through to say, you know, that that all of these people in the the first century A.D. were um, so incredibly smart to pull all that together from the stuff that they've read and made sure to get all that in there when. It's just like, well, or God exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know. I think also for me, uh, part of it is you really do have to look at the authors sometimes yeah. because you mentioned Karen Armstrong. She's an ex nun. Hmm. Well, there's a history there. Um, very few people. And I know somebody, who actually, who, who did, was a nun, and finally, after quite some time, discerned that she wasn't actually supposed to be there. She did not leave because she was angry. She's still Catholic. She married and had family, all these things. So that's totally fine. But a lot of people don't feel that way. They leave for other reasons. And so you kind of have to look at that, too, to make sure that there's not a personal bias coming through. And so, um, oh gosh, uh, who was it? He's Bart Erdman. Mm-hmm. He was a fundamentalist uh, Christian. And then because he was kind of working from a flawed, constricted look at, you know, here's what Christianity is. It didn't, there were holes in it. He got very interested then in um, historical Jesus only looking at it from a historical point of view, because he essentially became an atheist, and then he became a still a fundamentalist, just about something else. Yeah, right. And so he's not going to really give the context outside of his particular point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, he's convinced that this is what it is. You can only interpret it this way. And um, I, now I don't know about Karen Armstrong's particular uh the reason she left and is an ex-nun and everything. But basically from what I've read that she's written, I feel like there's a real particular point of view there that is not necessarily even handed. 
You don't have to love the Catholic Church to be even-handed, as Rodney Stark points out. And the thing about, I'm not writing this because I'm Catholic or to defend the church or anything. I like the truth. I like mm. history. <laughs> Let's just talk about that. Yeah. It was, it and was um, yeah, so you kind of have to look out for it. And, and the way I think of it is when you read about Benedict Arnold in the American Revolutionary War, he wasn't treated very well by our side. I understood how angry he was and how motivated to show what he could really do. And so he turns over a fort to the British and he betrays us and he does all this stuff. But I'm not going to read his history of the, of the American Revolutionary War and feel like he doesn't have some point he's really trying to make. And he might not bring everything to bear to show how right he was or how horribly he was treated or anything else. And that's this same thing. You have to take those things into account. And if you can't have um, enough impartial stuff also, or, or even the other side contrasting where you can see what's the support for what they're saying historically, or um, some of the things you were talking about, the way everything hangs together here. Well, yeah. let's look at all the explanations. Then you really have to question sources sometimes. Yeah, agreed. And and you know, ideally, you would have a historian that has no uh, agenda, which is mm-hmm. almost impossible, right? We all come with our baggage, <laughs> right? Our right. experience and our opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this fellow, he sort of like you explained was looking into some Catholic history and discovered that it was incorrect, was able to admit that it was incorrect, and then started looking elsewhere and said, this is incorrect too. Um, Isn't this interesting? And then sort of went down that path. And I feel really good about that. Um, You know, that he, he, to me, that, that basis of this story um, adds a lot of credibility to me. Um, plus, you know, clearly he's giving us all kinds of other places to look. He's not just saying this was wrong and this is why, but he's also, like you said, here's a list of books that are written by authors that are showing this exact thing that I'm showing. And, you know, along with there's footnotes like all over the place. Oh yeah. yeah. And he is quoting sources like crazy, but not in a way that makes the book hard to read. It's no, in fact, you can read readable. it without, but on the Kindle, you'd have to, you have to go out of your way to go to the footnotes. He was just mm. citing. It was just like, you know, I'm quoting something here, but you, they don't even come into it. It's very well written. Oh yeah. And, but I was thinking too, of things like when he talks about, um, Anti-Semitism, mm. the, the accusation the church has always been anti-Semitic. And he gets to this one part where he's talking about, I guess it was medieval times or maybe earlier, the Crusades and all that. And there were, um, there's this one part of Germany where the other parts weren't like this. They're, oh, yeah, sure, come on, move in, whatever, this is fine. Um, but there's this one part where they were super anti-Semitic. Mm. And it comes up two big mm-hmm. times in history. Um, and I think it's during like the witch hunting times and before that though, during like the crusades to the point where like priests were hiding people in the church, telling Jews to come into the church and then they were killing the priests in front of the church so they could kill the people inside. I mean, they were fanatical, but what would happen is other bishops from around like the Knights of Hungary, their bishops said, come on, man. And they went in and started killing the Germans who were doing all that. Hmm. So you, but he lays all that history out in such a way, and with some of the sources. So and so tells us this, so and so tells us that. We know from this, we know from that, and it just flows. So it doesn't matter. But you have the real layout of not only what's going on, but of that it's well documented. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Which which makes it. It's this is just a book I'm going to return to. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it really helps in that. You know, when someone comes forward with, you know, well, I don't like the church because of X, Y, Z, I can uh, find it right here. Often it's history that people have a problem with, which is a very interesting being Catholic. If you assume that um, Catholicism is real, (laughs) I mean, right, Mm -hmm. and um, that the the devil does exist, what Mm -hmm. would the devil want more than to muddy the (laughs) truth? 
right? Of course. To, to make course. people question the truth based on other things that are untrue is just probably has him laughing in glee. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so it makes, it makes sense to me that this is stuff that would be perpetuated just by, by those who um, just hold a grudge or, or just don't even question, you know? Well, if it's what everybody knows and that's what you've always heard, I mean, I understand it, but it's also the thing of when you're Catholic and you look at a book like this or, you know, other things too, but this book that shows here are all the things that everybody knows and you think, of course, people hate the Catholic Church. Who would not hate a group who's who acts like this? Mm, yeah, yeah. Naturally, but of Naturally. course, then you mm. find out that's not the way it is. It's that thing that was it Fulton Sheen who said um, they're not. I can't remember. He says there's not really even a thousand people in America who hate the Catholic Church, and they just hate what they think. They hate <laughs> what the, they think the church is, yeah. not what it actually is. Very. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah I, I probably didn't get that quite right, but you get the sense of it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah, so he, should I read well, the we're, yeah, chapters? Well, yeah, we're not going to be able to get through all ten, I mean, in any kind of depth. <laughs> no. But let's just, let's just hit, I'm just going to read the chapter titles, um, and, just to, and then we can go wherever we want to go. Okay. Um, but the first one's called Sins of Anti-Semitism, so it's dealing with the... Um, Catholics, like you just said, um, being accused of being anti-Semite since the beginning. Um, the suppressed Gospels, which is something that we're hit on a lot, you know, with, uh, you know, how it was decided what's Gospels and what isn't, um, mm-hmm. what's Scripture and what isn't. Um, persecuting the tolerant pagans, meaning, you know, the church has always uh, persecuted pagans. Um, imposing the dark ages the the church was oh, yeah. the church ruled over the dark ages and they were dark indeed yes they kept everyone ignorant <laughs> exactly which Except for uh, them. yeah but it was named the dark ages during the renaissance so um yeah there was <laughs> something that was like it's like oh yeah i remember that yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then there oh, was the those times yeah. no way man <laughs> we're better that's right chapter well, 5 that's familiar is sounding yeah, Sorry. yeah. No, you're good. Chapter five is crusading for land, loot, and converts. So on the crusades. And then chapter six about the Inquisition. Monsters of the Inquisition is the name of the chapter. Number seven, near and dear to my heart, scientific heresies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who doesn't love a good scientific heresy? Well, chapter... the church does, clearly. <laughs> chapter eight, blessed be slavery, talking about the idea that Catholicism supported slavery and the holy authoritarianism, um, which is just, uh, I, I, that was like a conglomeration of, um, things that were rebelled against by Martin Luther. I would say, um, this idea of this authoritarian oh, yes. church, there was some of that in there. Right. And then Protestant modernity, um, again, uh, I think it just has to do with the Reformation and... Um, no, no. Okay, go ahead. It, I'm trying to remember it, it this It has one. to do with the idea that the Protestant work ethic, you know, you've heard of that. It's Protestant. Instead oh, of the Catholics yes, that's right, that's right. helping develop capitalism and the cash economy and all these things from way back in the, I think it was the 800s. Mm-hmm. That's when all this stuff happened. And it started forward, and then he looks at, and because of the monasteries and this and that, and here's what happened, and then they turned to a cash economy, and then they turned to these other uh. things, and then they gave credit, and then and they had banks and gave credit and did these things, and then there was the leisure economy, so the right, middle class, and right. all the things, because the Catholics were, the Catholics, especially at the monasteries, but it spread everywhere. Right. And everyone went, mm-hmm. this is a cool idea. <laughs> And yes, but yes. you get up to um, and I'm trying to think what he considers to be modern. But mm. whenever the Protestant work ethic starts getting talked about, they talk about there's somebody who deliberately picked this up from someone else's book and just pushed it everywhere. Mm. And everybody went, "Oh yeah, the Protestants—they're the ones who made our lives good." Yep. So that's that. Very deal. good. Yep. 
because that one blew my mind. And, I didn't remember yeah. that from I first read this book in 2016, so it's mm. been a while. Yeah, and um, I read that one and went, "Oh my gosh, I <laughs> forgot! I love all this stuff." Showing how it all kind of develops in a timeline, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> very good. But yeah, yeah, but that's a that's a summary of the book. I would say the and a brief outline <clears throat> in each chapter is I don't know 20 pages, mm-hmm. not incredibly long. Mm-hmm. Full of places to go if you want to look further, um, and uh, it's just an extreme. It was a great read. Um, it, it's just a, it's just a good book to have with you, um, or a good book to have read. And again, if you're wanting to, you know, just have an overview of these subjects or to delve further, it's got everything you need for either right. either There's, way. The bibliography is fantastic yeah. if you want to delve deeper. Really good. So do you want to just talk about maybe a couple things that hit you from wherever in the book? Sure, or? you bet. Yeah, why don't you start? Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved, talk- when they were talking about the Crusades, I remembered a lot of the things he was talking about. But the thing that really struck me is he was pointing out that you know, now it's very popular to think of the Christians as being, you know, very greedy and um, wanting to take advantage of everything and come in and beat up the Muslims and they're so bloodthirsty and the Muslims were so peaceful and nice and Saladin was so great and all this stuff. And he goes, no, 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 no. Here's the actual way these people behaved. Here are different impartial observers writing letters to people about what they have saw and everything. And he goes, the Muslims and Christians acted the same way to each other, which we now look at and say, well, that's brutal and barbaric. He goes, but that was the style of the time. That's just how everyone acted and no one enjoyed it if they were on the other side, but that like, especially women and children caught in the crossfire, but it was how everybody acted. And he goes, Saladin wasn't this great, wonderful guy that everybody, modern people like to say. He was so peaceful. He was trying to help everybody. No. Occasionally that looked good for his PR. But really that's our modern reading backwards. And it's interesting to me to that he pointed this out. And I thought, of course, but we are now predisposed as a society to dislike Christians for everything they do and put the worst interpretation and then give the Muslims a break. Because when you like someone, you give them a break and you go, oh, that's just so-and-so. You know, those, he didn't know about those guys doing that stuff over there. <clears throat> when really, if it's identical behavior, everybody should be equally castigated or praised for whatever good or bad they do. Yeah. And, you know, so there you go. <clears throat> yeah, it was really interesting, you know, learning... Um I don't. I don't know a ton of the cru- about the Crusades. I just know some. I've read a nice book on Jerusalem, and um, so I know a little bit about the Crusades. But I've never read history of the Crusades specifically. But in this book, it's very interesting that it says, "Well, you know, there were pilgrims constantly going over to Jerusalem. You know, and Jerusalem was in Muslim hands. Right. But there was like a constant flow over there. So when they started to be threatened or in Christian shrines started to be uh, destroyed, um, there was a reaction to it. Um, and, you know, so it says here in, there's a famous book he quoted, an unending stream of travelers poured eastward, sometimes traveling in parties numbering thousands, men and women of every age, every class, um, ready to spend a year or more on the journey a major reason for going to the Holy Land was a belief that a pilgrimage would absolve the most terrible sins. And I love this piece too. Thus, many pilgrims came all the way from Scandinavia, some even from Iceland. As Runciman explained, the Norse were violent men, frequently guilty of murder and frequently in need of an act of penance. As we read in Njal's saga. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Though now I can't get that picture of him oh, whizzing down that frozen bridge out of my mind. It's one of my favorite <laughs> oh, things. Oh, man. Heck yeah. And oh, there, was, uh, so there was one of those sagas, because I've read a few now, where they said, uh, yeah, uh, make a pilgrimage because um, you, you need to go on a pilgrimage. Buddy. Ah. <laughs> so he said, all right, I'm going. 
Well, and yeah, so when they went, they were serious about it. And I remember him saying, you know, nobody was going there to get loot. Often it almost bankrupted them to do it. But they were serious about defending these things. Yeah. It was at great cost, great personal cost. It was a big sacrifice. Yeah. So, you know, he says, he just kind of sets the scene. He says, and it was in this climate of opinion that Alexius Comnenus, emperor of Byzantium, wrote from his embattled capital to the Count of Flanders, requesting that he and his fellow Christians in the West come to the rescue. In the letter, the emperor detailed gruesome tortures of pilgrims and vile desecrations of churches, altars, and baptismal fonts. So... Um, yeah, I mean, in that environment, that's going to be responded to, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And I should say here, too, I mean, uh, Stark doesn't claim that the Christians acted terrifically. You know, he's, he's not saying everybody's hands are clean. You know what I mean? He just right. says they're of the time. Yeah. And the time was thus. And this is what happened, right? Um, but it is did. not, yeah. it is, the motives were not what is, the common knowledge is saying that these motives were. And one side wasn't pure, you know, whitewashed right. hands, and the other side was, you know, evil. Yeah. It's, it's just they were people, some were good, some were bad, and they were all trying to accomplish whatever they were doing. People of their time, yeah. Yeah, people mm-hmm. of their time. Yep. So, Yeah. So what about you now? Well, I think, um, you know, I've been so much into medieval stuff lately. Um, I just mm. am enjoying it, you know. And and you do get a, to a point where, you know, the, the whole idea that it's called the Dark Ages <laughs> is really like, why is it called that, you know? Right. And then um, in this book, it just makes it clear, well, you know, during the Renaissance, everybody was so enlightened that they looked back and they said, look at this church imposed uh, tyranny and nothing happened in that thousand years. You know, there was nothing between 500 and 1500. It was like the church had the place locked down and nothing occurred. And we're going to call that the dark ages, you know, and then, um, and now here we are emerging from the muck (laughs) and we're, (laughs) you know, there's some lovely filth down here. So, but it's like, you know, we're emerging from the muck and we are so enlightened now that we're going to, you know, throw the church off uh, these shackles when, you know, and this, this dovetails into what I would call one of my bailiwicks. We talk about it all the time, or I bring it up all the time, but the scientific heresies chapter where it's like, who was doing the science and who was, who was writing the documents who was saving Socrates, um, you know, for future generations? Well, it was the church, you know, right. the church was doing this, you know, and um, it's just something that so many people just have so very wrong that um, I just love reading about it and how this author puts these things and how he just illustrates, you know, the Dark Ages is full of amazing stuff, you know. We call oh, it the yeah. Middle Ages, right? <laughs> right. Well, know, that's it. Medieval the Middle Ages. times, yeah. Right. And when you say medieval times, it sounds so different. And now it's very stylish to call it medieval times. And thank goodness, because the Dark Ages is, that's really not what it was. But, and it's funny thing, listening to you talk about the Renaissance, kind of looking back at the Dark Ages and going, ugh, mm-hmm. can you believe it? It sounds like people today talking about maybe the 1940s and 50s oh when everybody gosh, went yeah. to Christian churches. You're and, so oh, right. they were so repressed. And only white people could do anything. And only, I mean, you know, all the stuff that they sling at that without looking at what was really going on. <laughs> and people with the understanding they had doing the best they could, again, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. progress being made. People doing things for, you know fighting world wars and things like that yeah um yeah i hadn't really thought about that that is yeah that's really yeah Mm -hmm. i see it too Mm -hmm. i see it too yeah Yeah, and and, now uh, progress we're great we are the best (laughs) we are so enlightened now we are enlightened just imagine yeah yeah just imagine when really i think we're all just as confused as we always were Uh, i I feel like we're more confused i don't know 
I, I agree. <laughs> I think you're right, Scott. <laughs> Oh but my a gosh. lot of people wouldn't say that. So. Oh man, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I think that there's this really cool illustration of this. Um, so he says to summarize, Western history consists of four major eras. Number one is classical antiquity. Then two, the Dark Ages when the Church dominated. Followed by three, the Renaissance Enlightenment that led the way to number four, modern times. And he said, for several centuries, I mean, that is a long time, that has been the fundamental organizing scheme for every textbook devoted to Western history. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that serious historians have known for decades that the scheme is a complete fraud, an indestructible fossil of self-congratulatory Renaissance humanism. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the more that I look into that, the more um, I believe that. Yeah, and the worst thing is that everybody knows it, and they just and nobody kind of brings it up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say I also have been fascinated by medieval times, and um, one is because I read this book by Jason M. Baxter called "The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis." Mm, yes, how great minds shaped great books shaped a great mind, and so it talks about. I don't know it. In order for you to understand what he's saying about C.S. Lewis, the author has to really try to put you more in the medieval mindset. And he says, and Lewis said, and everybody like, it's impossible. We're too far on the other side of it. But every so often in this book, you get a tiny glimpse of it. And I was like, you know, they weren't right about everything, but that's amazing. Hmm. And then the other one is called uh, Winters in the World by Eleanor Parker, I think is the name. And that one, I think you have that book you mentioned, um, or Winters of the World. Okay. Oh, but anyway, yes. Yeah. Kindle, and so right. that one is looking at the medievals in England and how they lived through the natural world and how their customs and practices hmm. and what was happening in the natural world naturally intertwined. Yeah. And what that meant to them spiritually, because they were very Christian then, mm-hmm. and what it meant to them just personally as the weather would you know, change and everything. And that one, I feel like, really helped me also get a sense of that mindset. And I really, between those two books, I fell in love with that idea of the medieval mindset. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Again, it's, you know, you can't that way. But just <laughs> looking at that and thinking about, some of the things they bring up, it's really freeing and it's kind of, it's really beautiful. Yeah. I think so too. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, I'm kind of taking two sections here, but in, you know, just tying that back into chapter seven, which Mm -hmm. is about the science, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this, this idea that we being Catholics, you know, the Catholic church had no fear of science. And that was obvious yes. in the medieval times and past, even in Galileo's time. <laughs> um, but all of those things, um, it, you know, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. Cause you know, modern times is the, the, the Renaissance and the enlightenment is this idea that it's more of a rational thing, right? The idea that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll prove it, you know, this idea that you can prove things or you can test things in science. It was like, theories and um, refutations of theories and experiments and proof. You know, these are all kinds of things that came through in the modern times. But the the whole idea that the, the Catholic Church, the whole worldview of the Catholic faith promotes that mm-hmm. rather than stifles that. It's like, let's see what God has done. How exciting yeah. is that for us to see? You know what I mean? And it's not right. like there's a, a Catholic scientist that says we can go no further because God, this is a God line here, you know, which some people seem to think I, I, I may be putting words in a the mouth there, but it's like, I don't know how you can think that a, you know, a, a Christian scientist might um, be different from a, an atheist scientist in methodology and things, right? Because we're doing the same science. But it's because they don't understand God. Right. They don't, the and they may, perhaps criticisms. they fear it. You know, perhaps they fear the idea that 
that this person may say, well, you know, the explanation for this is God. Um, when it's, that, it's much or, deeper than that. It's like yeah, the explanation or, for the whole thing is God, but let's explore how it works. Maybe that they'd ignore something because it doesn't go along with what they think. I, I mm-hmm. think it might be in line with the idea in America that was especially prevalent when JFK was running and people would say, oh, the Pope is going to tell him what to do. You can't have a Catholic in office. And that had come up before. Yes, right. So it's a misunderstanding of Catholicism and um, your responsibility and the Pope's authority, all these things. And um, and in this case, I think that's kind of how people might think about a scientist and God, mm-hmm. too. And because and, what blew my mind in that chapter was, you know, you forget, it's not just that you think of Galileo, you think of Copernicus, who was also Catholic, and you think of this stuff, and you're like, oh, yes, they're studying the stars and astronomy and all this. Well, you know what else they were doing was forensic autopsies. <laughs> yeah, I think this person was murdered. Well, if the body is an amazing thing that God made, let's see how it's made. There's nothing that's hidden from us. We're allowed to have dominion, which is a word nobody likes, over things. Part of that is, how do we use our reason as you're saying, to show us what God has made, and that includes the human body. And so, therefore, you also have medicine and hospitals and universities and all these things that came from Catholics because they weren't afraid to do that. Right. And I really loved um, Occam. Oh, yeah. Let me see what <laughs> page that was. I don't know if I wrote the page down, but... When, you know, you've always heard, the thing you hear is, you know, the, the simplest explanation is the best one. Of course, they're like, which is incredibly simplistic um, and not really what he was saying at all. But he is the one, I think, let me find a page I had where I was. they were talking. I thought this was brilliant. He was going, okay, um, you know, Galileo didn't come out of nowhere with his brilliant idea. And um, in fact, he most of what he wrote down was actually not really correct because he was trying to go for circular orbits and not elliptical. So, however, I uh, goes, but here's how he got there. And of course, it's all these Catholics along the way you've come up with stuff. And Occam, uh, I just love this. It says, early Christian scholars assumed that angels pushed the heavenly bodies along their courses. It was Occam who did away with the need for pushers by recognizing that space was a frictionless vacuum. (laughs) He then anticipated Newton's first law of motion by proposing that once God had set the heavenly bodies in motion, they would remain in motion ever since, since there was no friction to counter their motion. And I went, oh, (laughs) that's so brilliant. You know, and he had to prove it, but it never occurred to me um, that he's like, well, but let's think about this. Do you need angels? What's it really like out there? Yeah. Um, and so, as a Christian, you're allowed to question things as long as you don't just throw God out the window. You know, he's like, God sets it in motion, and there you go. Well, how God sets it in motion, you follow on down, and you get the Big Bang and that theory and right. all those all yeah. those things. But um, like we read in, um, yeah, so in Seven Glorious Days, which is about Genesis and how everything was created and how it led to the earth and us and everything— it's it's that idea. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're allowed to question things, but you but you use your reason as well as your faith. Yeah, that's so very true. And um, I have this quote by Saint Augustine that I just love. Um, when I found it, it's in a book that he has called "The Literal Meaning of Genesis." <laughs> okay. And so here we are writing this in like I don't know 400 A.D. something like that, 415. So he says, um, often a non-Christian knows something about the earth, the heavens, and other parts of the world, about the motions and orbits of the stars and even their sizes and distances. And this knowledge he holds with certainty from reason and experience. It is thus offensive and disgraceful for an unbeliever to hear a Christian talk nonsense about these things, claiming that what he is saying is based in scripture. We should do all that we can to avoid such an embarrassing situation which people see as ignorance in the Christian and laugh to scorn. Um, The shame is not so much that an ignorant person is laughed at, but rather that people outside the faith believe we hold such opinions. And thus our teachings are rejected as ignorant and unlearned. If they find a Christian mistaken in a subject that they know well and hear him maintaining his foolish opinions 
as based on our teachings, how are they going to believe that these teachings in matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven, when they think these teachings are filled with fallacies about the facts which they have learnt from experience and reason? I was blown away when I found that. Oh, yeah, and that's my that guy. This is like from 315, or, or sorry, 400 mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. AD. And I'm just like, oh man, that just needs to be plastered on the walls, you know? So, because. They weren't fools back then. No, they weren't. We tend and, to and think this they idea were stupid. That, that, you know, this, this idea that we have that you and I are talking about, the, that science is something that, you know, properly done is something that we. Yes, believe in that. Uh, he was talking about that in 415 because people were running around saying, you know, the earth is flat or, or whatever, right. you know, he's just like, right. yeah, we have these motions. And the thing is, whatever it is that we know, <clears throat> you know, whatever it is that we observe, our observations and our reason are telling us something. And we're interpreting the Bible as saying something different. And the thing is, the Bible does not say something different. It's somebody's like interpretation of something, trying to make it something that it isn't actually. So, um, right. it's damaging to religion to be like that. So, um, I'm looking at you, flat earthers. <laughs> I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at you, young Earth people. So, um, you know those kinds of things. And and even in modern times, uh, there's a document that I like to point people to all the time, uh, written by Pope John Paul II called Truth Cannot Contradict Truth. It's a very yeah. short little paper. Please take a look at it if this is interesting to you. But it puts forth the idea, I mean, the, the, the most basic idea is like, if if science properly done is telling us something that we as religious folk are, have been claiming and is incorrect, then either the science is wrong or we're wrong. They're not both true. Right. right, which is which is a you know a, a thing that we, the entire I, I think all of humanity used to be able to stand on this fact that a thing is true or not true, um, but even here in these postmodern times, we have people that believe that everything is true or none of it is true or, um, yeah. you know things can be true and not true at the same time you know, um, so even that is challenging today. But the, you know, back in the, I believe it was the 90s, um, Pope John Paul II wrote that document, and it's a good one. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. it's funny, you're you're thinking of everything is true or nothing is true. Um, it makes me think of um, his chapter on the suppressed Gospels. Mm, yeah. Because so these are Gospels, well, supposedly, um, that were written much after the fact and are sometimes, you know, fan fiction. Sometimes (laughs) they're people's personal meditations on things. Sometimes they're, um, I don't know what they are, but what they are is they're wrong. And so these things will pop up every so often. And people are like, what? I love that. What they are is wrong. They are is wrong. Because what will happen is things will be in there. You're just like, there is, this was written in 400. Mm -hmm. So it's hundreds of years after Jesus died. And you're telling stories from his childhood or so, they say. And they get picked up and treated like truth. And then you complain about it now because, you know, these documents have been discovered and published and all this kind of thing again. And you're just like, no, 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 no. And they're just like, well, aren't you closed-minded? <laughs> the church did, just didn't like this because it didn't go along with their story of things. Well, no, that's actually not the case. Actually, the church very seriously was considering several documents that wound up making it in. Like there's part of the book of Daniel there's part uh, the and I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was the letter to the Hebrews, but hmm. there were a couple things in the New Testament where they were like, eh, I don't know. Mm-hmm, Saint mm-hmm. Jerome was like, eh. um, but what happened is, is they would look at them and go, look way into the context and everything, and check it out. And a lot of what you find in this suppressed gospels is actually they're often saying things that are directly contradictory with stuff from the four Gospels, which were written all within 60 years max of Jesus dying. Mm -hmm. If he died in 
let's let's say 33 without quibbling over year here or there. I mean, Mark was written in 60 maybe. And then mm. you've got the others just falling into place soon after with John being the last one around like 90 or maybe the year 100, something like that. So they were all written incredibly soon after. And a lot of times there were still plenty of people around who'd been there for all this stuff. Yeah. So they could have been contradicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the church carefully looked at all that. And they say that the church doctors even would quote these things. Even when the documents have been lost, you find big chunks of them in the church doctors who are like, can you believe these guys are saying this? <laughs> and as Rodney Stark said, they'll just quote huge chunks of it knowing that they're damned out of their own words. You know, people just laugh. Yeah, yeah. So um, right. I especially appreciated that because um, my sister and her husband listened to a book for, on Audible about the apocryphal Jesus, and it was talking about all these books. And here's the thing, it, talking about people who are creditable historians who aren't getting the truth across right. I don't know if this guy is really faithful or not, and he could be, but the impression that my sister came away with was, oh, <laughs> well, the church was just, everybody was still trying to figure it out later. They just chose not to put some of these books, and I can decide which ones I want to believe are true or not. Yeah. Which did not lead to very good reaction on my part. No, I mean. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sorry. That's it's fantastic. Been, well, uh, you know, it's the thing of going, I understand. And then she got mad at me because I wasn't letting her use her mind. And I was like, I'm sorry. I've only been reading about this stuff for 20-something years. What would I know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was not a very good exchange in that sense. But what it taught me about myself is like I value I found God because I was seeking truth about him. And when I found it, I couldn't believe what I found. It was so wonderful. I wanted to learn all about it I could. So I started reading about all these things. And I was like, so when somebody attacks the truth in that way, even though it's well-meaning and everything else, I get extremely upset about it. Hmm. I'm like this, but let me explain to you. Yeah, yeah. You know? And if you're not going to let me go into the context, well, that's the whole point of this suppressed gospels thing. And I was like, that's one of the biggest insults to the Catholic Church to me. I mean, these are all insults to the church. But I'm just like, how dare you <laughs> say that they wouldn't yeah. value the New Testament like that? Yeah, that's for sure. Anyway. And it's, yeah. And I get this question a lot, too, as you can imagine, you know, when people start to look at, you know, how the Bible was collected and and all mm-hmm. this other stuff, they often have questions. Well, why did they get rid of, you know, how did they decide what to get rid of, you know? Right. And, you know, we talk about the magisterium and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. the church works with councils and that kind of thing. But right. really, I mean, the sentence, I, I highlighted a sentence because I use almost this exact sentence. Um, so this is Stark's words here. The lost gospels were not excluded from the Bible because the early church fathers were malicious dogmatists, but because they were fully aware that the Gnostic scriptures were not Christian. It's just obvious, right? So basically, I've said that so many times. It's like they took out the books that contradicted the other ones, you know? And, And to think that that's horrible is like, you know, um, I don't know. It, you know the, the idea that people are running around writing books in mimicking the success of like the Christian gospels. Um, that's perfectly me, it's perfectly valid to me. I mean, it's it's what people do. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's like I said, say, it's fan fiction. It's yeah. like you know writing. Ben and some Hur people or are but, you know some people are like you know oh I want you know they may be coming from a good place even you know like you said fan fiction is coming from a place of love of the thing you're writing about. Mm-hmm. But there's also things written that, oh, no, these these people are incorrect, and this is correct, right? Um, well, you got some of those, too. Truth. Yep. I mean, well, and yeah, the th- so, and to me, the thing is, um, to me, the modern comparison is there's American history, mm-hmm. which may or may not be flawed depending on what you're looking at, but... There's American history, and then there's the 1619 Project. Oh. That is not fan fiction. It is deliberately written to discredit um, a lot about 
the American cult, what American culture has always taught about who we are. And one is deliberately manufactured for a reason and the other organically grew as we went along and we have our history. And, you know, to me, that's the difference. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if, you know, these people, the 16, 19 people did it out of pure love. It's wrong. Mm. So, yeah. Just because it's it's reasoned from a certain point of view and maybe even well written and all the stuff, it doesn't mean it's truth, mm-hmm. right? So, and that which of course is what Rodney Stark is talking about through the whole book. So, yep. Wow, there's so much here. There's so much <laughs> here. We've already gone an hour. Um, oh no. Yeah, okay. but we haven't talked That's about fine. the Inquisition, which is a oh, big no, one. I, yeah, we well, I just yeah. want to say one thing. Please, about the Inquisition. please. Yep. If anybody reads one thing out of here, read mm-hmm. the chapter on the Inquisition because. I've read this book before, and intellectually, I know the things he's saying, which is the Inquisition was incredibly not what we've heard. Mm-hmm. And um, people often would want to be put in the Inquisition's jails because they'd be treated so much better in their court and jails than they would in the secular ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in Spain, which is where we're told it's the worst. And to me, the thing I had forgotten about all this is, oh, wait a minute. All the things that you can find where all the awful things are really start to be written about Spain and the Inquisition, uh, those were in England and Germany, (laughs) who were Spain's enemies at the time, and also Protestant. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what you had is, it's, uh, you know, fake news. (laughs) And it worked insanely Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. So, I was like, oh, I totally forgot that. Because when they go into it, which he also melds in their uh, witch burnings mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's like the amount of witches burned in England and Germany just tower over anything that happened in Spain. I mean, it's it's incredible. And he's got all the documentation on it. You're just sitting there going, how could I have forgotten this? Because it blew me away the first time I read it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. It's an incredible thing, you mm-hmm. know. Yep. It, it's a yeah, it's a it's a stunning thing, and that's something I would like to look into more too, because we're we're hit over the head with that a lot too, and I'd love to mm-hmm. understand it better. But even if you yeah, even if you read the book and you don't necessarily agree with it, then that's where the challenge of the bibliography comes up is to take some of the books that he's recommending, read some other books that you find, and mm-hmm. see how your reason works with them. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yep. If you really want to know what's true, that he gives you all the tools you need. And as I said, with each chapter having, here's some of the professors, four or five professors, or uh, leading historians, who would have um, specific studies who he is including in the bibliography, but his their work is what he's leaning on for a lot of this. So he's giving you the names to look at, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you you know disagree or one just want to know more, so um, right. it's it's really an incredibly good book. Yes, it is. I'm really glad you yeah. picked it. Yeah, and you're the one who brought it to me in the first place, or let me oh. know about it. And uh, yes, you. Yeah, I've read it and it says, yeah, it would be cool to talk about this. It's just you know, this is a book I love for people to have access to. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it's it's like the perfect length. It's not some thousand page tome. It's 200 oh, yeah. pages or so, yeah. and uh, about 20 pages on each of these subjects. You can read it, and you can be directed to other things if you're interested. It's well-written, um, very thought-provoking, and very well-documented. Oh, yeah. And really even-handed, like you said. He's not uh, glorifying anyone. He isn't. He's, he, just... he's not saying the Catholic Church is sin-free. I mean, he's, no. he's not saying that at all. Um, he just says, no, the, the history has this incorrect and this is what is correct. Yeah. Here's what's, here's what it shows. And that, so let's look at these other numbers and the, you know, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very worthwhile. Very worthwhile. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for reading it again. <laughs> I enjoyed it. So I'm thank glad. you for picking I'm glad. it. You bet. So next up for us is a wacky comedy. Called The Tragedy of Macbeth. (laughs) We're going to Shakespeare, yes. It's been a while since we've done one. We've done Hamlet, right? We did Hamlet, Mm -hmm. and I've 
put a couple of, have I done two Indian Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I tend to like my Shakespeare diluted with some <laughs> dancing. I don't know. It's yes, just me. That's right. But um, yeah, so this I'm looking forward to because you picked one that has Ian McKellen and Judy Dench. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, I've, I've never really seen Judy Dench. Well, of course not. I've not seen her younger. And this is 1979. And I've certainly not seen her play somebody complex and mm. also not very nice. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah. I've seen probably four or five versions of Macbeth now oh. in the past, maybe two years. Okay. I've just got really into it and it's, I love it's it. so fascinating watching these different versions. We'll mm. talk about that in the other podcast, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thank you, and um, go get this book. Yes, definitely. (laughs) All right. Have a great one. Talk to you all soon. We'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.